When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. Welcome to Extended Clip, episode 15. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And calling in all the way from Chicago is famous Twitter user and grad student, <laughs> uh, Claire Ostrowski. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> Anything you want to say to the fans? <laughs> <laughs> um, have me on your podcast. <laughs> Yeah, we should have actually... Okay, so uh, I said grad student. The credit I should have had was illustrious podcast guest. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're here today to talk about a couple of films that Claire brought to the table. Girlfriends, the 1978 film by Claudia Wheel, and Moonstruck, the 1987 Norman Jewison Cher Nicolas Cage movie. Claire, you brought this double feature. Why don't you uh, fill us in a little bit about these movies? So I guess I'm not really a movie person, um, like what? as an academic, as an academic and a Twitter person, I'm more so interested in like the discourse itself. And I find it really interesting when movies do or don't survive the battering of like film Twitter discourse. Um, and so something I find particularly interesting is when film Twitter or academia or whatever decide that girlish movies like Girlfriends or Moonstruck are or aren't a part of the pantheon um so girlfriends was like the spotlighted movie in the criterion channel like what a couple months ago and so everybody and their mother was watching it and they decided that it was really great and that everybody should see it even though the things that are derivative of it are already really popular like nobody had seen this and it, in a lot of ways it makes sense that people loved it because it's this new york kid coming of age movie um, but i think it's a bit more challenging uh, because it's Susan, it, I, I think, makes more mistakes than Francis. And uh, it's obviously a lot messier of a movie. And it's old in like a topical, unaccessible way. Um, and then on the other hand, Moonstruck would make a lot of sense to be a part of like the film Twitter pantheon, uh, because it's like paratextually pretty gay. Uh, it's starring Cher and Olympia Dukakis and Cher won an Oscar, and it's a rom-com, and it's campy, but people don't really know or talk about it. And I think it's that's because of two things. It's it's a New York movie, but it's about a working family, and it, despite it being uh, culturally gay, it's like, <laughs> it's an Americana film, and it's also, there's not a mean bone in its body. It's, it's not relatable, which is really in vogue right now in a lot of ways, it, because it's so joyous. And it's really funny and it's like kind of a dad movie in a lot of ways. Um, so, so while they're similar in that they're about women and they're about gross men and they're about growing up at different stages of your life and finding people and being in New York and being an American woman, they're also just so different and they capture what you want out of that sort of movie in different times in our culture. So I think they complement each other really well, but they're also kind of strange in their own right. Damn, dude. 15 episodes in, Claire just yeah. owned our whole shit. Yeah, like, yeah. very yeah. astutely put. Yeah. Did uh, I do a good job? Yeah, yeah no, that, yeah, yeah, that was great. Better than our usual two sentences. <laughs> uh, no, what you said about like what kind of, uh, I guess you could say, quote unquote, girly movies survive the film Twitter discourse is always really interesting because there is the often like 
think of it being an auteurist thing, you know, like the Elaine May movies are very much accepted within the film bro canon. It's not like an outstanding thing for a guy to say he likes the Elaine May movies, you know? Uh, So it's always a weird like case by case basis. This one, Mm -hmm. Claudia Wheels, like there's some articles. If you look her up, there's a lot of like there's some auteurist articles about comparing her to Woody Allen or whatever, which is an annoying comparison. (laughs) Uh, I think the comparisons that you brought up, like Lena Dunham or uh, Frances Ha as a movie, like are much more apt than that. But yeah, Yeah. it's not like an auteurist object really, which is frankly what we deal with here often, Mm -hmm. which is like a shortcoming of us, I guess. But, uh, and then same with Moonstruck. Yeah. It's like, uh, I was coming into this saying, man, Moonstruck makes me want to forget about auteurism and only care about acting (laughs) Yeah, Uh, Yeah. because the two lead performances are just fucking insane. Like they're so good. I mean, on its, on its surface, Moonstruck is like a pop movie, but it's actually just very strange because it's so mm-hmm. it's so funny and everybody's so ugly and like <laughs> it's so it's so not about sad people um i don't know yeah pop movie uh that's strange more like a pop movie you know gather around with your friends smoke some reefer for this one <laughs> jesus <laughs> uh, yeah that, I, I would say that too yeah <laughs> well we're gonna talk about moonstruck later we're gonna talk about girlfriends first so this is a 1978 film by and am i saying claudia wheel right or is it while i don't know i don't know all right that's cool <laughs> shit man whatever uh, sounds the best yeah. it, i've it's another one of those things I'm, i'll type it a hundred times i'll never say it out loud again it's uh, okay she won't hear this yeah no, chill, dude. i hope she hears this yeah. <laughs> if any yeah if anyone knows her like send us a contact an email or something like that i mean i saw it she's like still up and about i guess like when i looked her up I up and about <laughs> she's still healthy yeah no, that's not what i meant uh when i looked her up the articles that were coming up were like from like jewish cultural things like two years ago mm-hmm. uh and so she's still i guess i don't know she's i don't think she's listening to underground uh podcasts, <laughs> but, but she says she stays busy she's in the discourse man <laughs> so yeah girlfriends is a movie it opens on the titular girlfriends, I guess, but it's a it's a one character movie. It's not. I actually thought it was going to be about the two of them uh, for the first ten minutes, and mm-hmm. then about ten yeah. minutes, and you realize that it's about Susan. Um, what did you guys think about this one, just in general? This is like the second time, very recently, because like what uh, Claire had pointed out, I sh- I was shamelessly a part of when uh, Girlfriends was on the Criterion Channel. I snapped it up right away. And, uh, well, I mean, it was that, like... Shake it, my head, dude. This is an anti-streaming <laughs> podcast. I can't believe you would say that. It was, uh, like, it, I think I watched it at a very uh, poignant moment where uh, my dear darling Nico had just uh, just left Los Angeles. And, oh, uh, shout out to Nico, my BFF. <laughs> I don't think he's gotten any, like, airtime. Like, any- oh, my God, dude, What the fuck? <laughs> Oh my god! Shit, I'm what sorry. Happened? I uh, Nico sent a message to the <laughs> podcast. He broke the podcast. Damn. No, legitimately, he did. Damn. Wait, Claire, are you still there? Yeah. All right, cool. It sounded like it broke, but I think we're good. Did that freak out on your end too? Sorry, I feel like that was my fault. I summoned him. No, it was yeah. me. No, legitimately, Nico sent me a message for the podcast. But it's just a man sucking his own dick and fingering <laughs> his ass. <laughs> That's pretty sick. I was yeah. about to say, yeah, we haven't mentioned Nico in like five weeks. Uh, shout out Nico. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like the 
<laughs> to get to take it back to girlfriends, um, that like m- the absence that really lingers in the film, I feel like is very important to like it, it. It focuses on so many moments in like friendship where you know that like there's a limited span of time you have with a person, and mm. just like feeling that like sort of go by, and uh, it really hit me hard then the when I saw it for the first time, and just again I think like the way it captures like the real melancholy nature of that because it's like they're they have like really fun times together and they like you do see a lot of beauty of their relationship but like it really focuses on the sadness of that absence too Mm -hmm. yeah this movie would like really is kind of sad and i don't know you know i guess i wasn't really expecting it you know it to be happy or sad but like yeah just a lot of time you know a lot of time uh of just like her like alone dealing with like being alone and stuff yeah. like that kind of like you know her, the last movie we talked about i also watched it for the first time when it was on criterion i had never heard of it and um i i was first taken by how funny it is and how like simply put it was really relatable and but i rewatched it for the podcast and was taken by how yeah how bad it is constantly and like you're you're faced with the Picking time bomb of the relationship ending and new relationships starting that don't feel right. But then she's also a woman, a poor artist who's a woman in New York. And so it's all these other sad moments that that are also relatable that you face every day. And so, yeah, it's, it's really sad. Um, but I guess in the same way that Frances Ha is sad and that, you know, it has a happy ending. Yeah, this one, it gets to the sadness right away. About 10 minutes in, you know, you see that this movie's not going to be about Anne and Susan. That's going to be kind of the the structuring absence is of her best friend that's always there with her. And you see her kind of try out these other friends or, like, guys or whatever. And it's just, like, you're not going to, you know, replace that exact connection you had with one person. Uh, and so that aspect of it is very sad, but on a scene-to-scene basis, very funny even like her depressing job taking pictures for the temple uh like the first time we see that and it's that look that kid like jeffrey and the rabbi's like trying to get him to smile and they're both just looking completely dead eye into camera Mm -hmm. uh that shit oh my god i was laughing really hard at that and a lot a lot of the temple stuff i don't know uh it's eli wallach who you may know from uh the good the bad and the ugly like 10 years before that (laughs) as the rabbi here and he gives a really great performance in what turns out to be i don't know you could say it's creepy that she uh gets entangled with the rabbi romantically but it's also i don't know i think that's approached really like uh in a way that's really sweet i guess yeah i don't i don't find it creepy i I find it sweet in a in a way that recognizes that weird shit happens and you find people where you can find people mm-hmm. um which is sad but i didn't it's it's sad that something creepy like that has to happen for you to like feel loved in some way but yeah i think it's really well done yeah there was no judgment look if there's a hot rabbi like, uh, <laughs> i myself Eli yeah. Wallach, look i admire him as an actor not necessarily i don't know uh, not into him. Yeah, no, not <laughs> no, he was like he that he has a sexy performance in this. I <laughs> yeah. think that's part of the reason that like sells it because it's like you they both like and I think it works because they both understand like the like that it can't really work 
um, their relationship, but they sort of like appreciate that like they're very similar people and that under different circumstances, there's like that, like, I don't know. I feel like the fact that they never like fully uh, dive into it, I think also is a nice layer to it. Well, I think part of that too is that Susan is an old soul, right? So she's like young and making all these mistakes, but her, her people are in this temple and, you know, it's it, she's being taken advantage of because she's young, but also like, yeah, in a different time or place, it might have been different. Yeah. And another like kind of sad but funny scene is when <laughs> Anne and her husband return from their honeymoon <laughs> and they're like showing slides of their honeymoon. And it's just like the most painful thing. Like you don't want to be there. That sucks. Mm-hmm. But also there's just the really embarrassing kind of tasteless nudes that pop up in the slideshow <laughs> and it's just like the war it's very i feel like that hits a very realistic point like the really shitty nudes you accidentally see or whatever yeah. like mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. i don't know i thought i think that uh translates from 1978 that could be a bit in <laughs> girls or something uh, I don't know, like that that could translate to the stuff that this is mm-hmm. uh that derives from this yeah mm-hmm. it's, it's well, also uh, so, but something no you go sorry I'm all right no yeah no it's fine um <laughs> Um, I, what's also really funny about that scene is like their kind of like touristy multiculturalism like tour that they did and like how much they're like into like different countries and just kind of how like bland they're becoming like you know mm-hmm. a couple's like kind of secretly hates each other if they're going on <laughs> really nice vacations <laughs> <laughs> just to distract themselves from each other yeah damn dude well, and, and, uh... <laughs> little, little insight right there <laughs> what were you saying Claire and, and she doesn't like remember the vacation and it's like <laughs> already disgusting and then susan has to face the disgusting nudes yeah. <laughs> and, and i mean i've never been in that specific situation but it's the same thing when you your friend gets a boyfriend who you hate and they're like macking like at the bar and it's disgusting yeah it's- that's gross i mean all my friends are fellow incels so that doesn't happen to me but- <laughs> 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 um yeah, and then I guess, oh man, all the thing I'm looking at my notes and like all the scenes that I felt were worthy of writing down are just like really depressing but funny things. Like when she walks into a room and just plops down on a chair and turns on the TV and starts crying. The thing that's on the mm. TV, Malcolm and JT, I tried to talk to them before. <laughs> it's really low on the volume. You have to like blast your fucking TV to hear it. But yeah. it's something that I am convinced she made for this. It couldn't have been a real broadcast, but it's this guy getting interviewed and the interviewer says, what movie do you take a girl to on a first date? Contestant number one, what kind of a movie do you like to take a girl to on your first date? Um, probably a John Ford Western because I identify with John Wayne. And he says, I take her to a John Ford Western because I identify with John Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think I'll, pro- I'll probably clip that and put yeah. it here. But uh, I think that's a really great, like, because this is 1978. This is like new uh, film school culture is new. Yeah. Kind of. uh, I mean, it had been like since the, the early Scorsese stuff, you get that first vibe of like the early American cinephilia. But those guys must have, you know, 10 years later. Now they're really fucking obnoxious. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it hits that well, really well. Part of why I like it so much is that it exists in that vacuum of time when making fun of art hoes in this way was kind of new. So it's all really simple and understandable and obvious and the jokes aren't trying too hard. And like I said before, everything that came after it is derivative of this because it's so 
it's so easy at this time. And it was a really quick period, like what you were saying when that was happening. Yeah, it's this weird piece in like American film culture, too, because it's this is past like the new Hollywood thing. Like New Hollywood's pretty much dead by now. And I guess that is a good marker for like why her career didn't go much further, I guess, because, yeah, you know, she had one more Hollywood picture after this. And then other than that, she's done like documentary work, it looked like on Letterboxd. Uh, I think if this came out, you know, early 70s, like I hate to do such a direct comparison to the only other woman directing in America <laughs> at the time uh, or one of the only three. But like if it came out when Elaine May's first movie came out. I'm sure she would have gotten three more movies during that heyday of like American yeah. independent seventies stuff. But unfortunately it doesn't work out like that. More yeah. well directed than a lot of the new Hollywood stuff too. Like really even handedly well, yeah. not showing mm-hmm. off. It's the least showy uh, of anything in new Hollywood. Like mm-hmm. Elaine May yeah. is more show off than this for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's still just like directing of actors is so much more competent than a lot of the other new Hollywood type stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really it's a really precise movie too, and like how like scenes play out and like when they end and yeah, how they're sequenced. Yeah, for something this loose, especially yeah, it's yeah. so precise. Yeah, which the mumblecore yeah. stuff never gets right. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, it's so antithetical to like seventies blockbusters, and even if you're not privy to that, it's obvious. Like the cultural feeling is obvious, which and it's like a little bit nicer and more quaint than mumblecore. Yeah, and that like low-key feeling of it is so rare in American cinema at the time because, you know, the year before this, so I guess earlier in 1978, I guess, uh, Annie Hall won Best Picture over Star Wars. And like Annie Hall is like, the you know, supposedly this like little movie, but like compared to this, Annie Hall feels like a giant like epic that had $50 million mm-hmm. put yeah. into it, you know. Uh, and I, look, I'm not here to gas up or tear down Woody Allen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a neutral party. Uh, <laughs> just presenting the facts. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I think that I guess we didn't really go through like the plot necessarily, but I think that's okay. I mean, we alluded to the fact that she uh, has a little romance with her rabbi and that kind of falls apart because he's married. And that's a really great scene where Mm -hmm. she's in his office and the wife's there too. Uh, Those glances between all the characters like are, you could read them five different ways. It's, you know, there's no real objective way to look at that scene really for what they're thinking. Um, and yeah i mean how'd you guys feel about like how it wrapped up i guess um well like the to talk about like the final moment uh in particular is like i mean you get uh like we've talked about like sort of the contrast of like the really happy moments of their friendship with like just bitter sadness Mm -hmm. i love that you are left hanging on the look that susan has when like annie goes away and like to like be with her husband and then she just sort of looks down and it just to focus on that um like after they sort of have that moment there where they reconnect um it's just so sad yeah it Mm -hmm. could be kind you could read it as hopeful that like they're gonna establish a good version of like their friendship while she's still married but also it's pretty depressing the whole movie so you don't really it's hard to read it optimistically yeah i didn't really take it like that i really kind of took it as like this is because a lot of like thinking back on it now pretty much most of like these subplots kind of end in like a dissatisfying way that you know is kind of uh you know a bit of a, a downer i yeah. guess but you know yeah. it's, it reflects you know some real life stuff so yeah the hitchhiker that she picks up uh when mm-hmm. she finally like 
realizes that there's no reason to keep letting her mm-hmm. live at the house and kicks her out. Uh, she just like confronts her at the doorstep randomly. It just feels so like low key kind of yeah. that something that emotionally impactful that would, you know, work me up for a whole week to say that to someone. Yeah. Uh, the way it's shown here is so real. It's great. Yeah. Well, before I re- I referred to it as like a coming of age thing, but it's such a lonely movie it feels more so like she's training herself to be alone. And so that when you get to that like catharsis of being back together with Anne at the end, it doesn't feel right because you've been sitting with just Susan the whole movie and you've been, you've been so close to her perspective of like hating the husband and hating the dynamic that it is even more sad, but also it's uncomfortable to not just be with Susan. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up our girlfriend segment. We'll we'll uh, go around now, if you will, and rate <laughs> the film if you want. If you, if you have anything else to say, uh, JT, you want to go first? Uh, okay, I guess. I don't know. Or, uh, actually, uh, hey, you know what? Uh, I was gonna say Claire go last, but Claire go first. No, someone else go first. Okay, Claire go last. <laughs> JT go first. Okay, um, I'm gonna give this uh, the four and a half bullets. Oh shit! <laughs> um, wow. But because I, I don't know, it really resonated with me. Um, and I think one thing that we didn't touch on as much that I want to l- just mention in like closing thoughts was I loved how it depicted her like uh, Susan is like a struggling artist, like the photographer thing. I think that's been done like to death, like uh, a, like a lot now. Mm-hmm. But like the way that it uh, does it with such simplicity to see like how uh, Susan gets slighted particularly like the scene early on where like uh, one of her photos is going to be in a magazine, but is like cropped. It's just the, the man who's doing it. It just seems so nonchalant about it. And it just that those moments really ring true. All right. You know, I'm going to give it four bullets, um, (laughs) four bullets out of five bullets. And (laughs) I, yeah, I just, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. And it was really good. Uh, I guess the block, I, I noticed that the blocking was like kind of like pretty master level. And I feel yeah. like um, even in like scenes between Anne and Susan, like I feel like the blocking would get even more like uh, ex- like expressive or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Um, yeah, so there's yeah. a lot of shots of uh, a lot of great two shots where they're both sitting down either on chairs or on the floor. Yeah. Uh, where just like either the height discrepancy or the distance between them is like so great. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It does that thing a lot where it'll have like a character's a part of a character's body in the foreground and like the character highlighted in the background, usually Susan. And that's a it's a good technique. Yeah. So that's good. <laughs> I agree that good techniques often are good. And uh, I think this movie is a great example of that. You go to the movies, you want to see that technique. Master craft. <laughs> this is a very great movie on that level of craft, though. Uh, I'm, all, I'm, I'm with Malcolm. I'm giving it four. I gave it four bullets on Letterboxd. I'm giving it four on the podcast. Consistent. No change over these four hours uh, that have passed since I watched it. Uh, yeah, it's great. It kind of reminded me of a mix of, like, the Chantal Ackerman New York uh, like documentaries that she did like uh, Hotel Monterey I guess is the one and News from Home that and uh, is that a siren is everything oh, okay on yeah. your end Claire damn yeah getting arrested for, doing... for you guys yeah. <laughs> for bad podcast <laughs> <laughs> finally <laughs> what took you so long <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, but it kind of reminded me of like also Ackerman's J2LL in like that feeling of just isolation in an apartment and just like being lonely and sad for long stretches of time. And uh, obviously the long takes that uh, Claudia Wheel uses are not Ackerman length, but uh, yeah, she uses like surprisingly like a lot of long still takes to make up this. Uh, and that is always just easy bonus points for me. Uh, and it's a great movie. Four bullets. <laughs> what about you, Claire? I agree. I'm giving it four. Um, I am actually charmed by how rough it is. And I, for all the reasons that you guys said, um, I think the form is really interesting and emotional. And it's a super narrative movie. But um, it's girlish in its narrative and it's girlish in its form and how much time we spend with Susan. And like you said, the blocking is helps that. So uh yeah it's a great it's a great flick as jt might say <laughs> um, <laughs> jt and kevin <Yeah>. smith <laughs> <laughs> jt's wearing an imdb hockey jersey right now. <laughs> just in case you didn't know all right well we will be right back to talk about moonstruck now that's respect <laughs> so um, you're of chinese ancestry huh broad Japanese. That's what I meant. Jap- Japanese. Oh. North, right? Northern Japan. No. South. No. North. Yes. 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 That's what I meant. Susan. I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Welcome back to Extended Clip after an extended break. We are back and <laughs> here to talk <laughs> about movies. Uh, what else did you guys watch this week? I didn't. I, I haven't really. Uh, I don't know. I couldn't, I've tried starting some movies. I tried watching Tall Girl. I tried watching. <laughs> you got to break down the choices here. <laughs> I, well, I, I'm not even done yet. I tried watching Bright Future by Kiyoshi Kurosawa. I was too tired. I couldn't finish it. But yeah. it's, it's good. I tried. I tried watching. As good as it gets. I watched the first 20 minutes of that. That was pretty enjoyable. Um, but what I've been really watching this week is the Bernie Mac show. You guys ever you guys ever heard of this show? You guys ever seen the show? It's fantastic. We've talked quite <laughs> yeah. a bit off pod about this yeah. sitcom. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I've been watching season two in particular. Uh, a couple episodes I want to highlight is uh, one thing I love about the Bernie Mac show is that Bernie's he's trying to like answer big questions. Like he's not... He's not like, it's not formulaic. He's like trying to figure out why things are the way they are. One episode in particular when his kid Jordan, um, this kid, his kid Jordan is bullying this fat kid. And um, Bernie Mac's like, why is he bullying him? Like, that's that's so cruel. You know, I don't want my son to be this way or his uh, nephew in the show, if you've seen it. And then he makes Jordan befriend this kid and he befriends the parents. And he just realizes like, oh, this kid's really lame. Like, this kid's... And like his parents were kind of lame. This kid never really had a chance. And um, I don't know. That's like a. There's people you don't want to be friends with sometimes, you know. And it kind of answers that question. I I thought that was really funny. And one thing that the Bernie Mac does at the start of the episode, and it's, it's not every episode, but it's a lot of them. He'll be very firm in a position. He'll be like, "Things are this way, and that's how they are." <laughs> Much like a stand-up comedy bit. Like a stand-up comedy bit. You know, maybe like a Archie Bunker. Got you know in, you know or something. I've never watched an episode, <laughs> but you know I know my TV history. Um, and then 
at the end of the episode, he'd be like, America, I was wrong. I realized it's actually, it's, it may not be the, the opposite of what I thought, but you know, the answer is more nuanced. And, uh, I don't know. I think that's like for a sitcom. That's a that's a brave approach. Yeah, it's like straight up transgressive at moments in yeah. ways that there's such an easy way to resolve it that you've seen in every sitcom. Like mm-hmm. almost every Bernie Mac episode I've seen, there's such an easy resolve halfway through that they just avoid, just throw out the window. You know, yeah. uh, just to make something a little more difficult where Bernie Mac has to contradict himself. Uh, it's great. It's like yeah. one of the great sitcoms of that era for sure. Yeah. And uh, Mac, I think a lot of it is like, you know, Mac's own pride. You know, he, there's easy solutions within the show, but, you know, he's so prideful that he would never go for that. No, I've been going long on this. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go real quickly. There's another great episode in season two with Don Rickles where Bernie Mac is trying to find motivation to stay fit. His wife is a. Uh, you know, taunting him, you know, for being a little piggy, and fe- you know, <laughs> <laughs> feasting on fast food too much. And uh, he just doesn't, you know, he just doesn't have the motivation. Then he hangs out with Don Rickles and his friends and uh, sees that his Don Rickles friend dies with his face in a plate of nachos. And it really awakens him. And it teaches us the lessons. It's like, you know, if you want people to care about you, you just, you can't let yourself go to complete shit. Like you kind of have to, you have to put the effort in a little bit, you know, just at least just a little bit, you know, just to, you know, show you're a person. So. Damn. <laughs> Maybe I'll <laughs> limit myself to three drive throughs a week. <laughs> no. Yeah. It, it was a wake up call for me. That's yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, what about you? Um, I'm looking at JT. <laughs> <laughs> I the one thing I wanted to talk about uh, I've been like you mentioned uh, John Ford a little bit in Girlfriends uh, and I've been making my way through a lot of John Ford recently oh, yeah. I like oh, problematic I, king <laughs> it's just getting real <laughs> emotional with the fellas and I love yeah. it and I one like really fun or well not fun it's very sad but one really <laughs> good one I watched recently was the Long Voyage Home. Uh, there are like two cool things that I want to mention about it. Um, one, it's another classic deep dick and deep dot or deep focus cinematography from big old Greg Toland. <laughs> and it looks amazing. Like a lot of the shots like take place like in the dark, like at night on like a, uh, like a merchant ship that's like, uh, making its way to like, uh, England, I believe like on the eve of like world war two. And it's based on like, four separate Eugene O'Neill plays and it's just like really sad about just like you can fear or you can feel the fear and paranoia of like the death being like on its way um and then the other thing that's surprisingly very funny and interesting even though it's like somewhat convincing is like John Wayne plays like a Swede his name is like Oli Os- Olsen. And so he's like talking like sort of this like throughout the whole thing. And it's like weird like oh, how like it's kind of convincing. Like I watched it on TCM and the host said after the flick um, that some voice coach had actually like taught um, John Wayne a Dutch accent and said, wow. but uh, John Ford was like, fuck it. That's pretty cool. Damn. Do you remember which TCM host it was? Uh, I think Alicia Malone. What about you, Claire? You see anything uh, of note recently? Um, I've been kind of off movies as of late, just because I don't have time. Um, but I've been watching Succession because I'm trying to not have takes about things before I see them. 
And my take was that everybody needed to shut the fuck up about succession. That's my current and take. And <laughs> after watching it, that is the correct take. And <laughs> you're all okay. allowed to have that succession. Take. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like fine. It's like I'm interested to know what happens. I don't think it's as problematic as I thought it was going to be, but it's still like that fucking vice shit that's just like rich people pretending that they hate rich rich people. Um, so it makes me feel icky and it's also like kind of cringy and not a fun way. But I don't know. It TV is so bad um, as our movies and music <laughs> all the time. So it was nice to watch something that like I was totally revolted. I wasn't totally revolted by. So uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Adam McKay directed the pilot or was he like attached to the program? He produces wow. it with Will Ferrell. Oh yeah, fuck that. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Enemy watch of that. the pod. I didn't. I didn't yeah. even Enemy know Enemy of that, the pod, but... Adam McKay. <laughs> <laughs> it's been brought up consistently at least the past like three <laughs> yeah. or four times. Yeah. No, because like you could make him out to be kind of the good guy in certain uh, disputes, like mm-hmm. the the funnier die thing. Like he left before that became like an actual like slave labor organization, pretty much for comedy writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was there to fund it. You know, fuck that. Like he yeah. or found it rather. Uh, I don't know. He's he's. I, he's I'm a, making my turn a... on him. <laughs> I, 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 I still like the early movies, but I'm I'm making my turn yeah. on everything else. Yeah. He's a fun. I mean, he can be both. He can be a funny guy and a, a rich, out of touch asshole. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of just like tired of it, and I don't want to engage in it in a with it in a serious way. I it's just not worth our time. <laughs> That is, well, I mean, I'm glad you picked something that's uh, not worth our time to talk about because that is kind <laughs> of our specialty here. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I saw the trailer for Succession uh, while watching a different HBO program, not to be named. Uh, I don't talk about my television consumption. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, just look, I mean, obviously you can't fucking judge by a 15 second HBO Go trailer or whatever, but it does look like absolute <laughs> shit and I'm never yeah. going to watch it. Yeah. Me neither. I'm never going to watch it. I mean, the whole, it's, it's MO is like, all these characters are so naughty. Like, <laughs> but like, that's but, like a five year old thing. Like, I thought that was dead right. five years ago. People were talking about, oh, it's rich people behaving badly. Like that was the number one right. thing. But, but now like, it's just okay again. But the thing is like, they're all the intention is that they're all equally bad but the things they do that make them bad are (laughs) not on the same plane like some of them are like sexual harassers and some of them are racists and some of them just like cheat on their husbands so uh i don't know it's not yeah Yeah. exactly the same man (laughs) throw the book at all of them uh yeah no uh cancel it um, I have seen, I watched a couple movies this week, watched a couple Cronenbergs that are a little too dirty to talk about on the air. <laughs> too hot. <laughs> yeah. Look, I'm not talking about, you know, wanting to have sex with a wound from a car crash, but let me tell you, that movie convinced me that Cronenberg is as good as advertised. I was kind of, da- you know, I, I wasn't down on him last week, but like, he's never been someone that I thought was like actually one of the masters, but Crash is, while not like a masterpiece, it sold me completely on him 
Um, That's a good Skinamax. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, a, it's a straight up softcore porn movie. Yeah. Like it's uh, every uh, like every other scene is sex. Yeah. Uh, with like nudity, just not like penetration. But it's also fucking good. I don't know. Yeah. If you want to know how to get, I mean, our th- those things are not mutually <laughs> exclusive. Obviously, <laughs> we've talked about the the pleasures. Of, <laughs> we're going to with Moonstruck too there's a lot of That's, erotic pleasure in that that is true yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. another erotic film that I watched this week was House of a Thousand Corpses uh, not an erotic <laughs> film whatsoever uh, I, I dipped my toes into Rob Zombie just yesterday really I watched like the Living Dead Girl video and the Dragula video and then House of a Thousand Corpses House of a Thousand Corpses is very good. It's kind of like got that post Tarantino stink on it where it's like a, 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 a film boy just like gets to make a dirty movie with all the references to his favorite gross out flicks, you know? Kind of smells like Tarantino just hit it. Yeah, it smells like, it smells like Kevin Smith and Tarantino both just hit it. But like... Uh-huh. <laughs> what? You went too far, dude. No, I'm just no, it really has that no. vibe to it, though. I mean, obviously, formally, he's miles above Kevin Smith uh, and really above Tarantino at that point. And Tarantino, like Tarantino, he he is a hit and miss. Uh, Rob Zombie just commits to being an all out like aesthetic assault. Uh, and it works really well for this film. Uh, the different like textures he gets out of shooting in different mediums. There are like long scenes that play out in like uh, not even HD, just video, standard def video 2003. And it's just a fantastic, fucking gory, self-aware, funny horror movie, and I'm looking forward to digging further into the zombie catalog. Yeah. Snap out of it! I can't. Moonstruck, 1987, Norman Jewison picture. Uh, had you guys seen this one before? No, I hadn't seen it. No, first time. Claire, you had seen this multiple times, I'm guessing. Yeah, I watch it like every few months. Nice. It's- I mean, people always talk about their comfort blanket movies or like their favorite Christmas movie or whatever. And I've just never had that with anything. But I watch this. It always makes me feel nice. So I love watching it. Uh, was one of was my this favorites. one like a uh, was it like a grower or like a instant classic? Um, my brother showed it to me when I was a kid and I was like, what the fuck is this? And, um, and I remember distinctly thinking that Nick Cage was so ugly in it. I was like, I can't get past this, but I rewatched it, uh, early in college and was like, this is the greatest movie ever made. And also Nick Cage is so hot. So, um, I was going to say uh, you were dead wrong. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But, you know, we all change. We all grow. I'm, you know, I'm ashamed of my past, but I'm excited <laughs> to put that behind me. And I'm a Nick Cage truther now. So, yeah, um, it was a it was a grower, but I love it. I, too, am ashamed of my past. Uh, I. <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> Reveal it. <laughs> I think I've deleted every letterboxed review I, from pre-2016, maybe. Ooh, I think uh, I did that, too. Yeah, mm, no, I, left a, good. I left a couple. No, it's just bad takes. But uh, but like Moonstruck, I watched about a year and a half ago on a VHS on like a 12 inch TV, like while I was like on a on a date and uh, didn't really like the movie that much. Yeah, congrats. Uh, That was like that was. Well, let's be frank, folks. Uh, That was the start of my incel period. So uh, Moonstruck, maybe it just rubbed me the wrong way because uh, it seemed to be the the, uh, the source of yeah. 
the curse yeah, of, yeah. of the year and a half of uh, <laughs> posting online instead of going outside. Uh, but revisiting it was lovely and i had a great time i mean this time it's obviously in widescreen rather than cropped on a vhs <laughs> and norman jewison is a very uh competent director who composes very pleasant uh for your tv on an afternoon type images and <laughs> yeah it's a really it is a very comforting film right away mm-hmm. from the second you hear that's amore <laughs> yeah it's devoted to like one of uh the greatest uh cultures uh the italians they're italian americans yeah Mm -hmm. italian americans yes let's get it straight (laughs) (laughs) this ain't no old country (laughs) just the most joyous group of people yes (laughs) we love it you know you know that thing people say like you could be racist towards italians i don't agree with that i think that i think this movie taught me that you should have empathy for them exactly yeah i learned something yeah nah i mean a lot of this movie is come on like laughing at like just dumb classic Italian American TV and movie tropes. You know, uh, this movie has them all, and they are tastefully used. I would say it's a very strange movie, and it uh, deploys a lot of these tropes: uh, yelling about food and whatnot, and talking with your hands, uh, very uh, <laughs> willingly. Just throws them out there all the time. But it's always it always feels tasteful. It's always fun. And this was a fucking Oscar movie, which I find insane. So bizarre. It's deranged. Yeah, like, I thought this was, like, a weird B-movie, and that Cher maybe wasn't, like, a star until a few years later, the first time I saw it. And then I realized, no, this is a fucking huge movie. Yeah, it's so bizarre. And I think part of that is because, like, yeah, it's making fun of Italians, but that is almost a stand-in for, like, the standard fucked-up American family that's really annoying and, like, has their own, like, isms, uh... You know, I mean, my family's not Italian, but they yell and, like, are stupid and, like, have a bunch of dogs and, you know, um, like, have their own little quirks, like, just because they're from the south side of Milwaukee, you know? Yeah. Um, So it's relatable in making fun of Italians the way a lot of media does, uh, but it's still really tasteful. What'd you guys think about this? Yeah, it's a about really the treatment of Italian. <laughs> uh, this is about yeah. Columbus Day yeah. episode of The Sopranos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Italian American representation. <laughs> yeah. Well, as someone who is one hundred percent Italian, um, <laughs> no, I'm not. But uh, um, Italian means you're Italian online. Italian <laughs> online <laughs> to reap the benefits. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, you know, this is a really uplifting movie. It's a really, it's a, it really put a smile on my face and. Um, really put me in a good mood, you know, and you got to give movies credit when they do that. So thanks for bringing the movie to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I also really loved it and just like how happy and joyous of a film it was. I think that like in the whole like sphere of making fun of Italians, I think one thing that I think they treat like not like, it's definitely like the source of some humor, but it's also like the old world mysticism aspect of it that I feel Mm -hmm. like isn't distinctly like just Italians, but like sort of an older European thing. I feel like they treat that in a really interesting light. I feel like that adds to like some of the strange, like beautiful moments that the film Mm -hmm. has. Yeah. The last image of the film is the picture of, uh, I guess maybe the grandparents or great grandparents, like in the old country. 
and it really is like committed to i mean norman jewison is not i mean he's not jewish i know that <laughs> I, I have confirmed this to uh, the opsec but i don't know that he's italian but he seems very committed to the italian american kind of tradition and the kind of thing you just see in all those other tv and movies about like the weird like mystique of the old country to them where they kind of want to go back and they kind of don't and they're mm-hmm. kind of this weird american dream type thing which is you know obviously for bozos but speaking of bozos mm-hmm. danny aiello in this oh my god mm-hmm. in the first in the engagement scene so it starts with Cher being proposed to by danny aiello and he's just in full bozo mode <laughs> he's a putt <laughs> and yeah he just sucks and uh it's great he's just bumbling and yeah they get engaged though and then Cher goes home and it's a really great scene when she goes home that's like uh, on the level of like the first time you go in the house of Woodcock and Phantom Thread uh, when you're just greeted by the house of dogs and introduced by to all the characters and like the sweeping like Italian American music soundtrack uh, it's a really just like joyous exposition scene and this hits those exposition scenes and like all of the very I guess I'll say in a good way generic uh, plot points of like a romantic comedy it's a very that's probably why it's such a comforting movie is because just step by step even though it's with these extremely heightened scenarios and characters it's just beat by beat a very traditional romantic comedy and like what uh the rhythm and the structure of it is i think it's traditional in that it's ridiculous and fantastic and um romantic in a really standard way but i actually think it's it's so not challenging in its narrative and what it asks of the audience oh, that yeah. it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a straight line up. Nothing happens, <laughs> it, it, you know, and, and the characters have to deal with things that are, they're dealing with a concept that they've been dealing with their whole life in that, like, what is family? What is love? Like, uh, you know, is it okay to find love in these weird places? Is it okay to like still be in love when you're old? Um, and that that starts immediately. And so it's not presented like when Cher starts having an affair with her fiance's brother. It's that's just a, a natural extension of what's already going on. And so the the progression of the narrative feels supernatural in a way that romantic comedies in particular don't present a lot of the time. And that's why I love it so much. And I think why it makes me feel so good is that I never feel bad for the characters. Because although they're experiencing these really relatable problems, uh, everything has this really obvious positive trajectory all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the movie does a really good job of like, you know, taking something like Cher having an affair or like Danielle Yellow getting like cheated on and really kind of paint it in a non like scandalous light or whatever. Like, yeah. some, like we don't even really see the Danny Io character except for like one phone call. And then when he when he returns, you know, there's no really going back and forth with him too much. And it it probably boosts the positive vibes. Oh, yeah. This movie is good vibes only. (laughs) (laughs) No. And that's I think what you said about the pacing of it being supernatural is really probably what I was trying to say and miss it because it isn't really a traditionally structured script in the sense that there's nothing really that they have to fit. It is just a straight line up. And so it has all those familiar beats that you're used to in a like very comforting romantic comedy. But yeah, it doesn't have any of the bad ones. Yeah. (laughs) And so that is like the supernatural aspect of how the narrative unfolds here. Like every scene is just 
insane and fun and yeah great movie (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean we talked about how girlfriends was relatable because it was sad i think this is relatable because like tragedy and life changes usually don't come in these like sudden dramatic fashions and I think part of why it feels so um, lived in is because all the characters are a bit older and like uh, when the mom ends up having dinner with the guy who's on Frasier um, <laughs> John at, Mahoney, a legend yeah, RIP. Um, he's there with that younger girl who's like Susan's age and so you see this like that her life is a lot more tumultuous than all these people who have families and a home and work and um, it, and that's more understandable because that's like the life we live every day that like we realize these changes over time it's not like this uh, this thing that's obvious right away and then you know it's this tragic event i guess if that makes sense (laughs) and something else that's i guess i wouldn't say relatable so much more as just real is uh it may be supposed to just be played for comedy but in that scene the john mahoney character uh when he's meeting up after he gets his water splashed on the second time the same exact way and like it's kind of a funny bit that the wait staff is so used to that happening for him uh but when he's when he's explaining his process of like teaching and like feeling useless and then seeing like <laughs> yeah. you know a 19 year old girl like uh, wa- yeah you know it, her eyes when he's talking to her it's like pretty weird and like very real about the you know creepy professor student relationships that go down uh and it's it's pretty funny though i don't know i was maybe it's not supposed to be funny but i found that scene very funny it's it's funny because it's ridiculous but it's also like not creepy and that's also kind of funny which i don't reminds me of the rabbi and girlfriends yeah exactly i didn't find john mahoney creepy he's just like i mean he is like overtly the horniest character in the movie maybe like uh mm-hmm. more than shared nick cage because <laughs> uh, that's all he really wants is just like, yeah, yeah i guess like if he can't have sex with a 20 year old student <laughs> it's like a seven year old woman fine yeah. I'll, I'll walk her home see what happens yeah. he's a real wolf <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no he's great man his, his film career is uh really precious that and like barton fink oh yeah but uh fraser legendary <laughs> <laughs> we should just Frasier. do a Frasier episode. Yeah, I know. I, I, I was saying gotta, that earlier. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. We should just. I'll make you guys watch. Like my, I'll pick like my six favorite Frasier <laughs> episodes. That'll be my birthday episode. <laughs> Curate that. So, speaking of everything on an upward trajectory and everything falling into place, the main kind of like a rom com mix up thing that leads to the the climax in the movie is a trip to the opera, where uh, I guess you could say two generations of the family are. Uh, you know, not with who they should be at the opera. I like the opera because it's a New York movie. It opens with like the New York skyline. It's on the poster. Um, Greatest fucking city in the world. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But like Cher's presumably, or Loretta is presumably lives there her whole life and has never been to the Met. She's like, where's the Met? I've never been to the opera. Mm -hmm. And it's like really important to Ronnie, but it's not like this, it's not necessarily an event. It's it's just a part of his life because he lives in New York City. And so I it's so rare that you see like New York presented as just an average American place where families like live their lives. And so I really love that about the movie. Um, but also the idea of the dad with his mistress running into the daughter with the person she's having an affair with is really funny to me. 
Yeah, it's very. I mean, hey, to go back to Frasier, it's a very Frasier esque <laughs> mix up. Uh, they've had several farces at the opera. Frasier, I'll just say that. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll write the episode titles in the episode notes. <laughs> but yeah, so that is where the conflict kind of comes uh, to a head, I guess, because they catch each other and don't know what to do. Then there's this kind of farcical ending where people are showing up at the breakfast table, and then all is kind of just revealed. And and uh, Danny Aiello, or no, Danny Aiello doesn't let it be revealed. He just comes in with the I can't marry you. <laughs> yeah. It's perfectly yeah. convenient. It all falls into yeah. place yeah. like a uh, Christopher Nolan movie. <laughs> <laughs> all, the puzzle bo- all the puzzle pieces fit perfectly together. Yeah, I'm, I'm can't, I can't wait for a rewatch to see all like the hidden clues Jewison's <laughs> putting in the background <laughs> of this movie. It's hard to talk about that scene because it's like, it's just so fucking funny, dude. You just gotta see it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> all the... Uh, like everybody is so funny in this movie it's like incredibly acted and it's such a farce and the grandpa in that scene is just like it makes me laugh every time when he starts crying because he's confused it's great (laughs) listeners you gotta watch the movie it's so funny listeners if you haven't seen moonstar what are you doing if you shut off the podcast right now (laughs) yeah towards the the, towards the end of the podcast (laughs) pop in moonstruck and then listen to the last five minutes of the podcast on your vhs player (laughs) yeah on your vhs player yeah that's samore uh Good movie. Great movie. Why aren't you watching it right now? I ask you, the listener. Uh, please stop listening to us and watch Moonstruck. I give it four bullets. Oh, yeah. So what I was going to say also is I said it earlier jokingly that this movie made me want to give up tourism. The acting and the dialogue, things that I'm usually not going on about, like the films that I love, that being the reason why really here the acting is just incredible and the dialogue just every line is just a one-liner it seems like Mm -hmm. uh there will be a lot of clips for me to go through and cut out and put in the podcast it's that type of movie a great script it won best screenplay uh i can't remember the last time an oscar went to an like movie that like deservedly i don't know yeah yeah (laughs) four stars bullet no four bullets (laughs) (laughs) um I give it four moons out of the sky. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, nope. Just, like just some, kidding. Honestly, four just bullets. Kidding. <laughs> like, I was going to say, that's like some astrology shit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I will say uh, one more thing I want to say about this movie. It really does respect uh, superstition in a way I, I don't see many movies do. So, What about you, JT? Um, yeah, I'm gonna. this is going to make an extended clip. Six cents. Because oh, I'm man. also... Our favorite segment. Uh, giving this four bullets. Um a i guess to like sort of touch on like final thoughts um sort of going off of what you were saying eddie about the performances and the dialogue i think what gives the film like a lot of the lead way to go so over the top and be such this crazy weird unusual positive thing is just how real the emotions feel uh to the characters and just like there's a like everything is very absurd but there's an emotional truth to what they're going through and uh, I really love that about this movie. And our guest, Claire, final <laughs> thoughts on Moonstruck? Five out of five, baby. Can't get enough. I love those Italians. Love the dogs. Uh, and it's like, it's just so sweet. It's like, honestly, it was canonized for me because it was one of those things that made me believe in love when I was like <laughs> 18. Because it's just so, it's so like tightly wrapped and perfect. So. I love it. Nice. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that does it for that. 
Um, oh, you know what? I think Damn. it's time for a little mailbag. We got one this yeah. week. I just oh, wanted wow. to say extended clip. Learn to fall in love again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, this is a pretty emotional episode for us. I've been feeling a lot. It's about emotions, but it's also about respect. <laughs> and family. <laughs> yeah. You can't go against family. <laughs> uh, okay, so we got one email this week from Valerie F. And it says, hey, Eddie, Malcolm, and JT. Oh, also, uh, the subject of the email is <laughs> movies, which is good. I'm interested. Yeah. Well, it says movies. The editorialization is that, which is good. Love okay. the podcast a lot. <laughs> you folks have put together a really fun show. Getting to my question, what is the movie or movies that got you really interested in movies? Like, was there ever a movie where as soon as you saw it, a switch went off and it made you want to see so many more movies? Keep up the great work. Sincerely, Valerie. <laughs> P.S. Howard Stern is very hot. Wow. All right. That's a take. Uh, I, I've known this take from my friend Valerie for a long time. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, Claire, what about you? You can you can be in on this too. Uh, <laughs> How generous of you! Have a, do you have a movie that got you really interested in any kind of switch flip movie? Um, uh, <laughs> extended clip remembers the switch, switch flippers. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, like this is I like hate to be Rob Franco on Mike, but like. <laughs> I saw The Godfather at a pivotal time, and it's. I think I saw the the epic first, where they're all squished together for TV. Nice. And um, I like I really loved it, and I was also twelve, so I didn't know that like movies could be better than that. And yeah. then I remember seeing like them all broken up, and was like, well, can't get any better than that. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. Was, uh, like benchmarks with The Godfather, in my lifetime. That's pretty cool because now we know that you're a film bro, and that's good. <laughs> yeah. Know, yeah. Uh, what about you guys? You have one? Or yeah, no? yeah. I remember. I, <laughs> I I got into movies like by like searching like what are the most fucked up movies of all time. <laughs> What are the most fucked up, <laughs> twisted movies of all time? And I, I'd read, I, I would just read the plot descriptions to them on Wikipedia. What, it wasn't even a movie thing at that point. Um, and <laughs> a movie that was on that list is Gummo. And oh, hell yeah. I watched uh, Gummo, and I was like, "This isn't, this isn't that fucked up. It's, this is actually pretty cool, and like, it's beautiful." But uh, so yeah, that's that's probably that's one like horror movies in general. But like Gummo was the one. Where I was like, okay, what's what's this movie shit about? I gotta look into this. <laughs> um, my history is uh, equally as fucked up and <laughs> twisted. I got uh, dark origins. <laughs> uh, um, I think it started well, like when I was a kid, I was into. I got into movies pretty early on, um, but it was from The Simpsons because mm. I was like probably in like middle school, like maybe like sixth grade or something. And I was like, they make so many movie references in The Simpsons. So like, be, I'd like, I'd get more of these jokes if I watched movies. And so the first one I went with was Silence of the Lambs, and I watched it on like a VHS tape. Um, and I was like, whoa, this is so fucked up. I didn't know movies could make me feel things. Um, and yeah, from there I just like uh, started to branch out, and I used like the uh, like 
classic like top 10 lists and just went through from there mm-hmm. nice actually that was a huge one for me too i remember like i didn't think that you could it could be that fucked up um and <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i love that movie it's for me it was boogie nights i saw that and i said hey mm-hmm. man sign me up actually wait a second uh sideways oh, i saw yeah. like two months before i saw boogie nights and i was like you know what i should just like watch a movie every day and I think Boogie Nights was like, <laughs> I think a month is too far apart. No, I saw Boogie Nights probably right after, like within the first week of mo- watching movies every day. Nice. And Boogie Nights like became my favorite. But Sideways was the one that literally like the switch flipped. And from then on for the next like three years or so, I didn't go a day without watching one. Uh, and now I'm much more generous about skipping days. Uh, uh, it's like working out, you know. <laughs> you start skipping days, you get lazy, and you're no longer the swollest guy in the room. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, thanks for the question, Valerie. And you can reach out to us as always on Twitter at Extended Clip sixty nine. I'm at un- iPod underscore Video. I'm at Bitch Face Palace. I'm at uh, Tall Boy Thin Legs. And Claire. Claire Francis O. Damn. Thank you for joining us. It was very thank nice. You, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. <laughs> cool. Was there anything else you wanted to say to the fans? Anything yeah. you want to you wanna plug at the end? Anything else you want to get off your chest in general? Um, Stop having such bad takes and everybody get offline. Mm. But every, my plea to you is to take a day offline. Preach. <laughs> yeah. I respectfully... <laughs> disagree <laughs> <laughs> download an extended clip uh episode put it on your ipod classic have a nice day offline just listen to us that's there true you yeah you got to get five minutes online to stockpile podcasts <laughs> and then you go offline i actually do that like probably four days a week uh i'm offline other than downloading podcasts it's pretty cool <laughs> goodbye when the moon hits your eye like a bigger pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine. When the world seems to shine. When the world seems to shine. That moon. That crazy moon Cosmo sent off. What are you doing? Son of a bitch! Where are you taking me? To the bed. Snap out of it! I can't. Commendatori, you are already checked in. Commendatori, like a commander. I like that. That's respect. That's respect. That's respect.